Hello and welcome to the Emotional Work Podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition and my guest today is someone that we've been chatting uh, I think for about five months uh, about having a conversation about the topic we're going to talk about today. So I'm delighted that I finally got my finger out and actually done something about it and organised an opportunity to chat with my, with our guest today. Um, I'm a bit nervous about chatting with with our guest because like she's this virtual digital kind of interaction queen um and because we're recording this podcast virtually then i'm a bit kind of oh, gotta make sure i do well must make sure I, I i do all the right things and i suppose because of the topic we're talking about today that also links into why i'm, I'm a little bit nervous anyway enough enough about me let's get our guest on the air so i'd like to welcome to the emotion of Work podcast joe cook hi joe hello i've got the biggest grin and i'm just laughing at that introduction because thank you so much but also you're brilliant at what you do so I don't really <laughs> see that you need to to worry about me at all well that's one of those so the topic we're talking about today is digital body language um and you know I can't see each other so one of the things that, that I do with all of the podcasts that I record virtually um is I, I only do it on an audio only call so I don't do the video bit because what I've experienced in the past is if you have the video bit it sounds the 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 interaction changes because we can see each other but mm. the audience can't see you and the audience can't see me so i, I do it with the cameras off to make it a, an actual conversation rather than us talking on video where we, we would pick up other cues does that make sense well it makes perfect sense to me and that's kind of what we're here to talk kind about what we're talking about yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so we won't go down there yet we'll hold that hold that because um uh, as always we uh, start the emotion of work podcast with um an innocuous yet unexpected question and i had one in my head before i pressed the record button and it completely disappeared and then uh, jay mentioned something i thought ah yes that's what we'll do that question will work so my innocuous yet unexpected question is what was the last thing you talked to your hairdresser about <laughs> oh i knew i shouldn't have joked about my new haircut uh what was the last thing i talked to her about probably something about exercise okay um because she's been getting into running and she she runs a lot over the winter and christmas and and I like swimming and it's all about health and what's right for you uh, and if anybody's met me they know that I'm definitely not a runner um, but it's about what's right for individuals mm-hmm. in terms of their own whatever their goals are for for fitness and so we were probably talking about that and healthy eating something along those lines ah okay uh, so I, I similarly had my hair cut on uh, Saturday but the even though I was having my haircut, the whole conversation was about uh, my son Joseph, who was also having his haircut at the same time. So he was sat in the chair next to me. So there are four. There's four chairs in the barbers that I go to, and he was sat in the one next to me. And he'd taken a book into the chair to read. Um, and both uh, both the lady that was cutting his hair and the lady that was cutting my hair were both talking about his reading. Um, so oh. the one guy, his, I was talking to him about it and kind of helping him with the book and the other one was talking to me about it. And oh, how, how old is he? And what does he like to read? And, and all that sort of stuff. So um, I would love to say it was all about me, but it wasn't. It was nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> what I found funny about my haircut, because I've, I've gone from really long to a bit shorter to, to proper short. And my hairdresser cut it and did everything and styled it. And she gave me the mirror to look in. And I kind of went, yeah, that's good. That's good. Looking around. And I went, can we go a bit shorter? And she just nodded like, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to turn just... the camera on now so I can see your super short hair, but I won't. I won't do that. I will resist the temptation. <laughs> I'll save that one for offer. 
All right, so um, so we haven't got that that video kind of channel then, so we haven't got the opportunity to to see each other, which we said earlier on links into the topic of conversation that we're going about mm. today. Now, um, I think digital body language is a, is a really massive topic. Um, it, it spans lots of different areas, but I, I guess I want to clarify what um, what digital body language is or, or might be. So, should we start there? What what would you yeah. or what working definition do you use to kind of describe what digital body language is so there's a few different ways you could look at this topic one is from kind of the the roots of the uh, of the term if you like so steve woods mm-hmm. was um uh, was was very much kind of instrumental in using this term digital body language. And the way he explains it on his blog is it's the aggregate of all the digital activity you see from an individual. And he goes on to say that's emails that are opened and clicked, websites visited, Google searches, referrals from social media, webinars attended, all sorts of different things. Hmm. So that's very much from a data and a marketing point of view. Okay, And that's really great because you could use that in your learning management system, your e-learning design, your your MOOCs, you know, whatever it is that you're doing around your content and your delivery, you can use that information to analyse people's behaviour around what they're doing in work, in communication, in, in applying these things and make adjustments. So okay. I think that's a, that's a good starting point. I develop it on from there. Okay, so you said there were three, I think. So you, you say there were three um, kind of roots? I might have done. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the main one in terms of digital body language. The second one is um, is taking it from that marketing aspect and looking at that from a, a learning lens, if you like, around the content. Yeah, okay. I think the third area for me, and this is where I really concentrate on it, is it's about doing something different from face-to-face communication. Like you're saying, we don't have our video on right now, mm-hmm. so we're having a different type of of conversation from face to face. So so most people will know that I focus on webinars, virtual classrooms, and the other stuff that goes with that. And in yeah. modern learning, that includes communities and social media and so on. So actually, digital body language is about all of those things as well. And how can we do that really well, so that we don't just go, huh, we're not in the same room together, therefore it's not as good. Okay, because you, you did a podcast recently with uh, with the lovely folk at Good Practice, um, oh, yes. which was why, why are all why are all webinars rubbish? I think it was something the, like that was the yep. working title, um, and and that was what prompted me to then kind of get, pick up my phone and DM you and say, oh, we must get that digital body language <laughs> thing um, booked in because I, I I guess and I and I'm not a person to um, create the definitions by any way but that that big broad one in terms of the like the digital persona that we create mm-hmm. you know based on the, the the sites we visit the stuff we buy the things we retweet the uh, likes we give on facebook and all of those things and, and, and aggregating that up to create a persona for somebody because when when i think about digital body language i i that that phrase takes me i, I think similarly to you into the how can we uh, interpret people's stance or sentiment or mm. position or perspective on things when yep. we are communicating with them digitally? So I, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm looking interested in the active you know, bit, whether it be through a webinar, through a MOOC, through a, um, 
through social media, yeah, through for social instance. media, all of that stuff. Yeah, and, you know, so um, Mark, uh, that that Mark Gilroy on, on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I had a conversation, I think, offline a while ago about emojis. Um, and you know what do emojis tell us about individuals and all that sort of stuff as well? So yeah, so when, when I guess when yeah, so yeah, that that comes into it absolutely. Because when I was researching the term, I, yeah, I, I like you found all this stuff about that kind of broader digital persona um, aspects, which is unbelievably fascinating, you know. And that was arguably that's mm. what the the if I may get slightly political for a moment, that's what the likes of Cambridge Analytica do. Or did before they went bust, mm-hmm. um, or bust? Shall I say in inverted commas? You can't see me doing that inverted commas, but bust. <laughs> no, I um, can't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's you know, in terms of yeah, building that overall perspective and persona um, on the on or about the individual to try and then use that to determine um, what they're like. Yeah, and it's also I think it's a lot about the detail as well. So um, in Steve Woods's blog, he says uh, in the same way that body language, as read by salesperson managing a deal, it's an amalgamation of facial expressions, body posture, eye motions, and many other small details. Digital body language is the amalgamation of all digital touch points, and and certainly from the the data and the analysis part, it really can be about drilling down into that detail. So yes, it's about aggregating up, but also it's about drilling down. Um, so, so I think those two aspects of the data part of it are really interesting too. So um, so aggregating up to, to a persona, and then mm-hmm. where does the drilling down take you then? Drilling down into, is that like user experience? Is that where that's going? Yeah, I think you can get into user experience, user design, customer service, uh, and it goes into, that's where the detail comes in. And that could be analysis from a, a data point of view of dumping everything into a spreadsheet and what comes out. Or I think it could also be really manual um, analysis. So I've been doing some analysis on the training journal webinars recently that we run, all sorts of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I haven't got the greatest amount of data and the greatest depth of data. But just by exporting what I do have and looking at it either through a spreadsheet or just looking at what's available to me. So one of the things that came up was the amount of chat messages in a session. So on the hash TJWOW sessions, there'll be 200 messages of public chat, for instance. Mm. And it was just interesting about what does that mean? Does more chat mean actually people are more engaged because they're typing away in the chat window Mm. or does less chat mean they're more engaged because they're sitting back and listening and taking it in and I I don't know the answer to that but it's a really interesting level of detail to get to and and do you also uh, have any data to talk about or to try and assess the experience that or the the rating of that webinar as you know do people kind of um Mm. and that's uh you know not necessarily filling in a survey because I don't, you know, I'm not a bit, I'm not a massive no. fan of surveying everything, you know, the life out of everything. But in terms of, yeah, so is that, um, yeah, because there's lots of, like you said, sorry, I got my head's gone off in lots of different directions. <laughs> right? We are we are jumping on the data train here. And yeah, I, I'm yeah. not sure that was your intention. No, no, that's okay. I don't mind that though. I, I quite, but where my head is going is the 
the number of different things that could affect that data. So that could just be, a, you know, that could be about the structure of the webinar. So mm. did the did this because if if presuming that you use a similar format for the TJ Wow webinar, yep. you host plus multiple guests. Yep. Um, and then audience participation is through the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have if you have a guest who encourages chat window use. You know, you know, by saying, you know, like, for example, I'd like to hear what other people think about that. Pop it in the chat window and let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. Versus guests that that discourage, well, maybe discourage isn't the right word because you wouldn't say, I don't want to hear from you. Please put that <laughs> no, in the chat window. They definitely but, would not do that. <laughs> but you've got you've got kind of active encouragement versus um, you know uh, passive con- you know, passive contribution yeah. type thing because um, that that again could affect the. Um, Absolutely. And, and in, in the way that I manage that. So if there's a webinar, you know, this is where I don't have this data and I haven't done this analysis. But what we could do is look through either a sample or a, a range and just go, well, OK, how many times in a webinar did Joe read out a comment from the chat window as part of the whole flow of facilitating? And on okay. this webinar, it was uh, 13 times. And on this webinar, it was 28 times. What does that mean? Was there a difference in the amount of chat? Because people thought, oh, she's reading stuff out. It's inva- it's valuable, therefore I'll type something. Mm. Or she's reading stuff out and she scared me off, so I'm not going to type something. This is, this is the interpretation, and this is the same with any body language. Uh, I was in a... I was chatting to somebody the other day and I was really aware that I basically had my arms crossed and so many people interpret that as a barrier. I don't know you. I don't like you. I don't trust Mm -hmm. you. But it wasn't. It was my shoulders uncomfortable. I'm now sitting more comfortably. So Mm. it's down to interpretation a lot of the time as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and whenever... um In the behaviour analysis work that I do... um I can so the 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 golden one of the golden rules that that you know kind of I was introduced to in in the early days that I still abide to is you can see things and you can hear things but you never know why. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was uh, I was facilitating a design sprint last week, so five yeah. day kind of Google design sprint methodology last week, and on Thursday, um, one of the uh, one of the members of the team was was different. Um, momentary moments of of looking sad less engaged than they had been before less um, certain in their statements more kind of there was more hedging more ums and ers and maybes and possiblys and sort ofs and um, sort of pre-exclusion qualifiers that sort of thing so as uh, as we went for coffee I went out for a walk with that person and as I was walking along next to them I I just said you know how how you getting on today I've got a lot on I said, okay, well, I just want you to know that if you, if there's stuff that you need to do, then I'd rather you do what you need to do to make sure you're okay, and then you can come back and re-engage in the sprint whenever you're ready. Um, you know, please don't feel obliged to you know, be here if you've got other stuff that's on your mind. If, you know, if, if I'm going to have you in the room, I want all of you in the room, not part of you in the room. And if that can, you know, if, if one way we can help that is by you going to take us some time and doing what you need to do and then coming back, then that's fine by me type thing. Uh, and then when I closed the session on Friday, that participant came and found me and said, I was so grateful for, for that. And then she told me everything that was happening and going on, which I didn't know. And I know, you know, I couldn't know about it, but, but what I can see is, you know, is the change in, um, the change in her style, the change in, in, in the way that she was going about um, interacting with the session. So you, you're right, we can get gather the data, we can and we can try and infer some possible things, but we, we've got to be hypothesizing away about what that could be. 
so yes, that yes, there was you know if Joe mentions in the chat this, then this happens to the chat window, or this happens to the number of chat contributions. Um, but that doesn't mean that you reading out a chat always equals sorry, you reading out a post always equals more chat contributions. And I think that's the 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 joy and the nuance of the focus that you and I place on digital body language a bit more is less about the numbers and the data and the analysis of looking at an LMS or whatever it might be, and more about in the moment in a webinar or a virtual classroom or on some kind of social discussion, whether that's Slack or Yammer or Twitter or LinkedIn, mm-hmm. whether that's live or asynchronous sort of based over time, what's going on for people? What can I notice? What can I pick up? And and this for me is a, an absolutely key skill. Our, our lives are becoming much more social. Our communication is much more electronic and remote, but uh, it shouldn't necessarily be distant physically as well as uh, psychologically. Yes, absolutely. And uh, is it... Hmm... I'm now thinking back through my personal experiences. I'm trying to work out if it's if it's easier or more difficult to um, inquire as to what, as to what's happening or what's going on for for an individual. Um, so I can think of a, a Twitter chat that happened. I can't remember how many years ago it was now. A number of, it is on. It was on the tradition. So on, uh, let's do shameless plug time. So the uh, there's a Twitter handle called L L and D. So the letter L, the letter N, the letter D connect. Um, and the L and D community is a, a non for profit um, organisation who run wicked and fantastic face to face events in terms of um, unconferences, but also they run Twitter chats. And one of those Twitter chats is on a Friday morning between eight and nine UK time, uh, and it's called LD Insight. And I remember there was a, a one chat in particular where one of the participants um, was re- was quite different from how they would normally be. Yeah, so the contributions were much more challenging. They were um, quite accusatory at times. Um, and and I was reading their contributions, thinking oh, that's 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 different. That's that's changed from how that person would normally be. And again, I didn't know why. Um, so I, I moved over to the DM option in Twitter and just sent a separate message saying, you know, notice that, you know, no, I can't remember how I framed it now. I did my best to make it, again, non-accusatory, but it's something along the lines of notice that, you, you know, your, your your interaction seems a bit different to normal. Is everything okay? I think was my something. It would be something along that, that, that line. Um, but yeah, so my question that I began that with, I suppose, was... Um, if you were on, say, a webinar or Slack or wherever, is it easier or more difficult to message, to contact that somebody and say, I notice you're different, is everything okay? I think, like with anything, it depends on the relationship you have with someone. So I had a, a recent, uh, sorry, a not so recent experience, but something similar on, on a public webinar that I was hosting and there were 80 or 100 people in the chat panel. And like you say, somebody was being different. Actually, they were being very quiet, which they weren't normally. And I had privately messaged and just said, hey, how are you doing today? Hope you're okay, or, or words to that effect. Uh, or I, actually, I said something like, you're different today. Are you okay? Words to that effect. And the response I got back was, in my terms, blimey, how did you know just from this public webinar chat. And like you say, it's like you're different from normal. Now, because I've got a relationship with that person, 
I could pick that up. If I didn't have the relationship with that person, I wouldn't have known that because you have to have the previous experience to contrast that with. So by having the previous experience to contrast it with, that means I have some kind of relationship and therefore I can approach that in some way. Hmm. Yeah, one one of the things that um, that uh, I, I do a lot is build what I call baselines for people. So, what what's their typical behaviour in this context? Yeah, so there you go. I've managed to get what nineteen minutes into the podcast before I mentioned context. <laughs> I've done well. Um, uh, so, but yeah, what's you know what's that what's that person's typical behaviour um, in this particular environment or in this context? And that differs from face to face to online. Actually, differs across different me- social media channels as well. So one yeah. you know, one person's baseline on Twitter can be different to Facebook and can be different to to Slack or um, or, or somewhere else. But it's, it's one, building that baseline and then making a contrast between and and one of the challenges is that I find on the webinars that I run is often the people I'm meeting I've never met before so building a baseline for them is really tricky because I haven't got that um I haven't got that that past experience to contrast it with is you don't always meet these people you don't always know them so instantly I, I don't know the term in my head Phil was you're falling into a trap and I don't know if that's that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. also then kind of going, well, I don't have a face-to-face relationship with you before, so immediately I'm either disadvantaged or it's different. But that's the reality of a lot of the work that we're doing. Yeah. So, um, so the the implication then, I think, in in what you just said was that um, face-to-face is more valuable than virtual. In terms of a an environment to 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 have or make or build a relationship, mm-hmm. oh, that's the inference I picked up. Do you think that's is that, was that is that fair? I think. As in, is that is that is that or am I accurate in my inference? I think that's what I picked up from you and was reflecting back to you. Is that what you mean? Yes. Good. In that case, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I, I disagree with that. I, I don't think um, maybe that's a, maybe that's an outlook thing, um, as in not like a Microsoft outlook because that's awful, but as in a you know perspective <laughs> outlook thing, <clears throat> because um, some of the some really strong relationships that I've got now were first made online yep. and then moved offline. Um. Which is yeah, which I never thought would happen. I remember I I, I, I think I might have shared this on the podcast once before. I can't remember, um, but I was walking across. Uh, I was in Farringdon. I'd just gone to a, an amazing place that does these like two hundred and fifty different varieties of tea, with um, Meg Pepin, Joe Wainwright, and Fiona McBride, and we were walking across oh, from. We were walking. It was it was a really wonderful um, kind of catch up, and then we were walking across the road to a pub because that you know. That's what you do after tea. You have beer, um, and the and as we walked over, uh, I think it was Joe said to me, "So are we friends now." And this was quite. This is oh, I don't know how long ago this was now. It must be at least four, or five, four if not five years ago. And and, I, and my response was, "I don't know." Uh, I think so. I said, what do you mean I don't know? I said, well... <laughs> yeah, way to go, Phil. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I here's, a, here's a shovel. Can you dig it, fool? Um, but it, it was the first... that Because they, they were the first people that I'd met online and then met offline and spent, you know, some, you know, spent some time with. Um, 
And uh, and so there are a few things that were coming together. One was um, I have a thing about kind of who I call friends because the the word friend means uh, means something different to me. I think than uh, well. So the word friend means to me is someone that I know really well. I I absolutely trust and uh, would happily talk to uh, about stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and that might be different to other. You know so. So at that point in time, I guess, in my head, uh, there were a couple of things I was struggling with. One was, I don't know if I know you well enough for you to fit into my category of friend, in terms of what I mm-hmm. call friend as. But also, I'd never, I'd never made friends in that way before. You know, that it wasn't something that, you know, that, that meeting some meeting and chat somebody online and taking it offline and, and building, you know, making a friendship online and then making, and then carrying it on offline was something I hadn't done before. Um, and that's the one, you know, uh, and then I and then I came up with a nickname of the word Tan, which is my Twitter associate network. Um, so I then, in an attempt to dig myself out of the hole, I tried to play with humour and said, so, "Well, that's okay. You're just you're just part of my Tan, and you're you know you're some Tans to me because <laughs> um, you're part of my Twitter associate network." Um, but the uh, I, I can't even remember where I started with with this. But anyway, it's. Um, yeah, it's it's online versus offline. I think is really yeah, interesting. Yeah. I I interviewed or chatted with Jeff Kortenbosch from um, IKEA on on my podcast recently. So uh, all about virtual classrooms, the Lightbulb Moment podcast, and he's been running some virtual classroom and webinar sessions, uh, and just a handful of them. So I really wanted to get sort of some fresh insight from somebody. And the, one of the interesting things he'd said was how different it is the experience of people when they've met online first in a webinar, for instance, and then they meet in, a, in an office, maybe they've travelled to another office or another a shop, and then they meet someone face to face. They're almost like they're walking past and they go, oh, you're so-and-so from the webinar the other day. Mm. And he was explaining what a different reaction it is rather than the people we already know and we happen to be on a webinar with. So again, it's about um, about relationships and, and this whole digital body language thing when we're talking about moderating, facilitating, getting to know people mm. is all about building relationships, whether that's in a webinar for 60 minutes, in a virtual classroom for five sessions on social media for however long it's about building those relationships and it was just really interesting what jeff was saying about the difference between whether you'd met someone face to face previously or not yeah and i see similar experiences of that at, um sort of tweet ups or get togethers um yeah when you know, either whether that be at events or you know just generally organized uh, tweet ups where people say right we're going to be in this pub at this time and whoever comes along um, and you go, oh, it's you. Um, and you, yeah. you recognise somebody from the avatar, or um, yeah, or yeah, when when that it, it's a different yeah. It's a, whereas if you were just attending and you were meeting somebody for the first time that you've not met before, it would be. Um, but then you've got that shared experience, haven't you? You've got the shared experience of, yeah. of knowing each other and conversing, um, and conversing online first before you then take it uh, before you take it offline as well. Yeah. So that goes back to building relationships. And and that's why digital body language is important in today's A, society, but also our working life is because we, a lot of people, depending on their roles and companies, are attending Skype meetings or, or Microsoft team meetings or whatever it might be. 
And whether that's video on or video off, you've got to get to grips with people. I, I'm chairing a session at Online Educa Berlin, a couple of sessions. And in one Skype conversation with no video, we had literally 15 minutes for four of us or three of us to get to know each other get comfortable with each other, talk through the details and the logistics on what we were going to do and get offline again. Mm. I mean, how do you do that in 15 minutes with no video and only audio? This is digital body language and being professional and being a good communicator and all of those things. Mm. And so I just want to sort of take us down that, that video route for a, for a while. Um, so I did some work with a... Uh, with a multinational communications company recently um, and one of the things that that came out through the discussions exploratory discussions I had was that um, when whenever people skyped each other the default setting not the default setting of the application the default setting of the of the function I was working with was video off now the the reason, and I've done my inverted commas again, and I hope I communicated that in my uh, my pronunciation of the reason that um, was given for that was bandwidth. Um, yet when uh, when I forced it to happen, when I said no, if you're coming, yeah, if you, so we, I, I was running sessions that were phys- that were physically where people were physically present and they were virtually present as well. So I had one session where I had a group together with me in one country and then three other countries at the end of um at the end of the uh, a laptop. Um and we were all working together, working our way through the through a what ostensibly was a face to face workshop with uh, with some people online. Um and one of my requirements was if that's going to happen it's got to be on video. You know, everybody has to be on video because audio only just isn't um, isn't going to work and the feedback afterwards was how much more valuable it was um but the the default setting still remained at um we want to do it with that video because to save bandwidth but i think it was actually because it was um it was more comfortable but i i think it based on the discussions I had with that client in particular and I haven't done any um I haven't done the investigations of what the research would say but I would imagine that video is always better than not in terms of building relationships and communication so one of the other pieces of work that I've done to complement the digital body language stuff is to look at face-to-face communication and then how, what this means to the virtual classroom. Okay. So what I found was, uh, I'm going to scroll through my own blog on this to see if I can find the detail. Um, I found a study uh, about neural synchronization during face-to-face communication that was in the Journal of Neuroscience. And it, it was a whole load of scientific stuff in here, which I'm not going to read out. It's all in my blog post to go and read. But basically, the idea was through brain scans and, and other various different things, the quality of the communication and face-to-face dialogue was basically better. They were saying face-to-face is a better way of communicating for all sorts of reasons and all sorts of measures. Hmm. And, and one of the other things in the analysis that they did was it was not only better face to face but actually it was to do with body language it was to do with also the the turn-taking behavior the yep. non-verbal communication between participants now this is nothing inspiringly new nobody's going to be shocked at this and go oh my god that's the most amazing thing ever 
But what I found interesting from this is then, well, okay, let's put this in the context of like you're saying um, about that session or webinars or virtual classrooms or uh, online meetings. And what do we miss by not having the video on? Well, what we miss are all of those non-verbal communication parts, the smiles, yeah. the, the air quotes, as you've mentioned, the nodding. Um, but what's then also interesting is if you take that another level is right, okay, from there what that would recommend to me is like you say, let's have webcams on. Uh, in a webinar, maybe not, but webcam on me when I'm presenting, some or all of the time, mm-hmm. will make a connection with me. If we're doing a virtual classroom with eight or 10 people, there can be great times where everyone has their, everyone or individuals have their webcam on all the way through or at various points. And there's all sorts of arguments and ways of doing it. And that's another conversation. Mm. But the essence is let's have more face-to-face like a conversation. But the other part of this is about the turn-taking behaviour. So there's an element of what we can do actually is take some of these things that we've learned about turn-taking, maybe about verbal communication as well. And I don't have it handy, but I used to quote a piece of research that basically said you can trust people's voice more than you can trust their body language and their facial expressions. Um, And if we're focusing on that part of it, well, actually, we don't need video so much. So what we can do then in a situation like we are today, or if we're on a virtual classroom or a, or something similar, is as long as we're taking turns, as long as we are making sure to follow that etiquette and all of the other good things with our voice, therefore, have people talking in your virtual classroom. Make sure there's time for that and it's not just lecture that will really improve your communication and your relationship building and you'll learn a lot from other people. So yes, video is important, but you can look at these things in different ways and apply different things to what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and turn-taking itself is a um, is an incredibly deeply researched uh, phenomenon. And, um, and I'll put, so, um, sorry, just to, I'll take a step back from that and I'll come back to it in a second. So is it possible, Joe, that when, uh, when we finish, can you ping me over some, uh, link, yeah, links sure. to your blog and the different papers that you talked about all, you know, where the, where the papers are found in, in what you've got? Um, yeah, so, so turn taking is a, is a fascinating phenomena in terms of how pe- people signal, um, end of turns and the, the way that the floor, um, or the conversational floor is negotiated is, um, uh, yeah it's just a, a fascinating thing and you're right with without that um with the non with the non-verbal communication channels missing it can be harder for people to to discern when uh, when a turn is finished so one of the things that um cut the two of the strategies that i use so one is um depending on how, how long the webinar's for or um who's involved then then i do a ways of working type thing to say that when I, you know, that we always need to leave at least a second of pause before someone else comes in, um, because that way we know that that person has finished. So somebody might sound like they finished, but let them actually finish and just leave a second. That's all it needs to be to make sure there's nothing else they want to add before somebody else comes in. Because there could be a slight delay. There could be, um, you know, there, there could be something else that's happening. Secondly, is um, I I use signposting a lot in terms of where I'm going. So it, I was running a um, a webinar with so I did a, <clears throat> a workshop recently where it was um, pre uh, on two hour live class um, pre session 
two-day face-to-face um, together and then a, a two-hour um, post um, one discussion. So when it came to the first one, <clears throat> before I before I sort of fired up the live class, I wrote down the names of all the participants um, on a grid and then um, I had the num- a number of different uh, interactions that I knew I was going to have. So I had introductions was one. Um, what are you up to at the moment was two. What are your thoughts on this reading that I gave you was three. Um, and then there was a four and a five. I can't remember what they were. And then using my grid, I was ticking off when I had contributions from people. And then I would signpost who I was going to next. So for example, I would say, oh, that that's... So Joe, I'm going to hear from you in a second. But before I do, just to let you know, Jim, I'm going to come to you afterwards. Um, so that that person knew... And everybody else knew then kind of who was going to have the floor next and how that was going to work. Um, and then when I'd introduce Jim, I'd then say, right, Jim, we're going to hear from you next. But then after that, we're going to go to Kevin or you know, whatever that might be. Um, so that I was able to set the boundaries of whose turn was coming up and when it was coming up so that they could both get themselves ready. But also we wouldn't get lots of over talking or interjections from other people as well. Yeah. And it gives people thinking time and to get over panic and, oh, I've got to unmute my microphone. Where's the button again? Mm. Because all of those things can be barriers. So that's a really good technique for managing that. And then thinking about the turn taking and putting it into an asynchronous form. So you're on some kind of forum, Facebook group. It's I see a lot of people in that kind of way. Uh, in that form of communication, will type something and it's very me-oriented. It's what I think about something or my experience or what I want to say, but there's no turn-taking element. So when I'm managing my my forum, I, I really attempt to say, well, here's some information. This is what I think. What do you think? or versions of that Mm. so that you're encouraging that turn-taking or saying this is just my opinion you might disagree or or whatever terminology you want to use because that opens up communication and I think that's a text version of of being approachable as opposed to you know saying something going well I think it's this (laughs) you know it's very different from going I think this what do you think Phil yeah no I agree um um that um Oh, that's got me. So that's a connection I hadn't made before. Um, so that that element of uh, and and this is a word that sounds a bit dodgy, but I like it. Um, and that's elicitation. So that elicitation of um, response and information um, is, uh, and you've used two different. You know, you, you've identified two different techniques within. Um, you know, that you use one is asking a question, and the second one is um, you know leaving option to disagree. There's, there's a number of other techniques as well, but that um, that way of, of encouraging that interaction and, and it links into the uh, podcast I did two episodes ago with AD Howes talking about communities and and how do you, you know how do we get communities sort of vibrant and people engaging and um, and taking part and part of that is about yeah how, how do we create um, the conditions that allow them to feel like it's safe to contribute in whatever way that contribution exactly. comes in. Exactly. And whether that's in your forum, in an email chain, whether that's on a webinar or a virtual classroom, because you don't have 
the necessarily the physical body language or all of the nonverbal cues or in some cases the voice or the live element of it you know what comes across in your words and how you type those and you know going back to things like emoticons and emojis mm-hmm. you know it could be a smiley face at the end of something makes that okay whereas without it it isn't and that's you know again it's a bigger topic and actually somebody to look up on that is Esther Barrett uh, who works for JISC and she does some really good stuff around the use of emojis and and language change so it's about using those things appropriately in the different forms and getting getting to know people there are people that I chat with that are all about the smileys there are people I, I email that never do the smileys there are some people that use the ellipse the dot 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 um on everything and that drives me mad because that usually means unfinished sentence there's more to come but I'm not saying it but they don't mean it that way and and as somebody who trained as a journalist that drives me mental but that's my issue sorry we, we didn't come on here to talk about my issues did we Phil? Well, I've talked about my aims so I think I think as you know the forum is there <laughs> but, but that's why it's an interesting area because you can you can take it so many different ways okay um uh, oh, I see. Uh, now I'm doing the whole kind of um, over analysis thing. So I've just done okay, which, no. me- <laughs> which means I've done a, a, a. I've now signified we're going to change direction and we're going to talk about something different, which implies that I didn't want to talk about what I didn't want to pick up on what you were talking about, which isn't the case. You saw. Oh, I need to just be quiet now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so have you gone bright pink now? Even though I can't. <laughs> So there's a book called uh, The Human Voice by a lady called Anne Karpf. Anne Karpf is spelled K-A-R-P-F. And I'll put a link to, um, I'll put a link to that, uh, to the book in the show notes. Um, and, and what I love about, it is it, about that book in particular is it does two things. It talks about the, uh, I, can't, I think the word is phenomology. So it talks about the, more some of the biology aspects of how the voice is produced. Yeah, so it looks at voice production from voice box to larynx to mouth to tongue to roof of the mouth and all of those things. So it gives you a breakdown of how the voice is constructed. Um, but then it goes on to talk about what the voice can tell you and, and what yeah, what you can notice or attend to uh, in the voice. And I think there's a sometimes there's an over-reliance on the words that people use and, and we don't pay enough advantage to pay enough advantage, pay enough attention to uh, to the voice itself, which links back to the point you were making earlier on that the yeah. that the voice can um, can tell us an awful lot. Absolutely. And and I know I've definitely been on virtual classroom sessions where I'm getting to know people and they've been on audio and I remember somebody just, I heard a breath in, you know, that kind of, mm. <gasps> I want to say something. And then nothing else came. And so I said, oh, Lisa or whoever it was, it's like, Lisa, did you want to add something? And she was kind of like, oh, um, yeah. How, how did you know I didn't say anything and you can't see me? Mm. It's like, well, well, actually, I just heard you breathe in. Yeah. But it, it was just enough to know because somebody breathes in in that way where they want to say something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and sometimes you can, you know, that as with a lot of things, you can use that strategically. So if if there's if it's mid conversation and you want to take the floor, often people will, um, 
negotiate the floor by um, trying to to finish the end of somebody's sentence or to come in really quickly in a gap. Um, but one of the the more subtle ways of trying to take the floor is by doing the in breath because it, it it sends out that that communicative signal to people that there's something you want to there's something you want to say or something you want to add or contribute which depending on the on who's doing the communication they can either just ignore that completely and carry on anyway um or they might stop mid-sentence and let you in or they might at the end of their utterance they might then say oh phil was there something you wanted to to say or something yeah. you wanted to add and i guess there's a um, so sorry go on Oh, see, we've just done we've it. Just done it. <laughs> and, speak, and speaking of books, I just wanted, uh, I can't remember whether AD mentioned this, but there's a book called Buzzing Communities by Richard Millington. It's not very much, it's like Fiverr for the Kindle version. And I found that really good when I was starting to work on the community element about communication and, and how do you read people. It goes into a bit more about building your community and the process of that but certainly it it looks a little bit at this this topic area as well yeah so I, I, you recommended that to me um uh for a couple oh, of months I? ago yeah, yeah. I, and i read it it's good i agree i agree it's a good book cool. um you definitely a useful um definitely useful resource oh shameless plug time yes i i, <laughs> uh, I used i read it because of uh, setting up the emotional work hub which if you want to join by the way go to community.emotionalwork.co.uk and you can sign up for free and you get access to lots and lots of um, evidence-based resources on the topic of emotion in the workplace the shameless plug has now finished this podcast is brought to you by <laughs> the emotional work hub thank you very much <laughs> and it Sorry. is and it is really good um i've seen lots of different bits and pieces on there um uh, and it looks really good actually it's really nicely designed uh as well and it's really nice to be able to have that stuff that you can trust from someone as well oh thank you joe well i didn't mean you i meant the other people you know, writing it but <laughs> you'll i'll include you there as well okay <laughs> I, I took the compliment as the curator that's all <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I do mean that, of course. Um, all right. So uh, we uh, earlier on, we, we kind of touched on techniques or strategies that, that you can use. And we talked about turn taking in terms of signposting and um, you know, getting some kind of rules of engagement. Um, what other um, sort of strategies or techniques then do you use either to try and understand somebody's digital body language or to encourage that? communication and uh, encourage people in there are so many and it really depends a lot on on the type of or or the format of whatever it is that you're doing so Mm. webinar virtual classroom private group social media there's you know all sorts of different things um i think if we if we focus on the the virtual classroom part of that for a moment yeah okay for me it's all about deconstruct your behavior and understand it and this is the difficult thing, I think, when we're going from body language to digital body language, is we understand the concept of I'm looking at your face, hearing your voice, seeing your body language, and I know generally how to interpret that. If you're stepping towards the door, your body is turning that way, probably you want to open the door and get rid of me, so I should finish what I'm saying and get out. But online, we need to learn those new cues. Mm. So for me, it's about okay, what would I normally do face-to-face? How would I normally understand this? <clears throat> and once I understand that really well, I can then think, well, how could I do that in in a virtual sense, in a webinar or a virtual classroom? 
So it could be, you know, that that element of turning towards the door or, or looking at somebody else and nodding and going, you're next. We can't do that online. But it could be I mute myself and I type, Bob, you're coming up next. Or maybe I move the slide on one. So it's away from the question that I've asked and onto the next topic. And other techniques to basically say, you've had your time, let's move on. Um, on the training journal webinars I host, I generally, if I, I ask somebody a question, you've been on as the panel a couple of times, you know how this works. Ask a question and say, hey, Phil, what do you think of such and such? And you start saying what you're saying, at which point I'm still listening to you, but I'm reading the chat, I'm looking at the questions, deciding what to ask next, which panel member to go to next, and so on. And at a point where I'm thinking, okay, Phil, you've kind of had the floor long enough. I unmute and I start going, "Mm mm-hmm, uh-huh, okay. And it's sometimes that works if somebody's in tune with that. Other times it doesn't and they just carry on. But that's the case with all body language and interpretation. Um, With those kind of techniques. And there's loads more, but I'll I'll pause for a second. No, I think that's really useful. And and I like the... um... I like the sending a private message to someone to let them know that you're coming that their way as well as a as a, yep. as a, as a different way of doing it. Um, yeah, that's really useful to kind of say, "Hey, Phil, you're next," and the question is about such and such. Yeah, uh, because it gives you thinking time, and and you can do that in a webinar where you can't always do that. If you know, I was chairing at the ELN uh, conference recently, and the questions were coming up, and and the. Uh, the, the people on the panel all had the planned questions beforehand, but then it was a case of we don't know which one's coming next, we don't know the spin of it, we don't know what's going to come from the uh, come from the floor, or how I'm going to interpret a question. And there's no way in a live event for me to type, "Hey Bob, this is coming next," mm. but there is in an online event. So it's about then how do you make the most of the technology that you've got? Yeah, definitely. And. And do you think that, um, so some of the, is that, is that true? No, that's not quite true. So for, for, for most of the webinars, um, or no, that's not true. No, because they're not webinars. They're not, they're not omnidirectional. <laughs> they're you're just talking to yourself. I know, sorry. It's just like, I've had a thought, I'm talking out loud. <laughs> Let's in, Phil, what are you thinking? Uh, so in the virtual classrooms that I facilitate then, um, so I, I do I do work with the CIPD where um, one of the modules on the L&D, the level five L&D qualification is about context. Uh, so it's about the context of L&D. So I, I do a live class on that particular topic. Um, which, and the setup is me on camera. There's a um, there's a, a no, there's a, not a standard chat window. Um, there's slides and or a whiteboard. Um, and then all of the participants are, are kind of listed down the side. And. One of the things that I, I work really hard to do is to do my bit, but also follow what's going on in the chat window. So when yeah. people are posing questions and so on. But also I've got a facilitator with me who mm-hmm. is is doing all of the, what I'm going to now politely describe as the techie stuff. So when I need <laughs> to shift from the slides to it being a whiteboard, when we move from from being whole group to being in... Um, uh, yeah, the, in, in subgroups, so we split people out and put them in sort of what would I would describe as syndicate rooms, you know, type thing. They're in, they've got yeah, their own break little outs. break of That's yeah. the word. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they they do all that techie stuff for me, um, and I think I'd really struggle to do all of that myself. Mm. That is where I'm coming from. The the you know, the the cognitive load of 
concentrating if concentrating on the on what of the the content that I'm you know kind of paid to 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 talk about as well as keeping up with the chat window as well as keeping an eye on time and then doing all the techie stuff as well I think I'd find that incredibly difficult there is one thing I do where I do it all but it's much it's there's it, a slightly different setup because it's um everyone else is on camera and stuff as well so it gives me a bit more um but either way so I guess where I was going with that was um is there and I can't I know we can't unif we can't unilaterally say yes you should always have a, you should always have a facilitator um in your experience for live for virtual classrooms to be effective does it need someone does it need two people to take on those two roles or can one person run it on their own do you think so you've described a really good example of how to run a session like that the question i have for you on those sessions is how many people are attending uh, roughly roughly 25 30 okay so this is where the difference between a webinar and a virtual classroom comes in for me okay so a, a virtual classroom i would say is eight to ten people max oh, okay a webinar is any more than that so uh, and I've, you know, it's not that cut and dry. There's always all sorts of considerations to take into account. And I've certainly done sessions at that number of people. But at that number of people, you're not getting to know individuals, you're not getting to build relationships, and you don't have the time to process everything in the same way as you do when you've got half or less than half of that amount of people. Mm. So personally i wouldn't describe that as a virtual classroom okay maybe it's an intimate webinar and therefore the load on you is different so in that situation absolutely by having a, a facilitator or a host or a producer and there's all sorts of different labels you can use and they can do different parts of the roles with or for you mm -hmm. that really helps because it helps you concentrate a on the content and b on the people and not on the technology part of that you can absolutely run it all on your own and for four of the what five six years whatever it is that i've been running light bulb moment i did it all on my own i did the whole thing and and yeah it's challenging and <laughs> i didn't always do it very well um and there are limitations but you can do it but i was doing that with eight to ten people mm. where you can still build that relationship and you can manage stuff as well as doing the technology out of all of the other advantages of having a facilitator, technical facilitator, host, producer, whatever label you want to use, A, there's the technical support. But what I find, so I've trained up Michael, who works with me. I've trained him up to be a producer. He's actually the business operations manager. Mm. He's my producer now as well, partly because I wanted him to learn the, the nuts and bolts of, of what we actually do in our business. And what I really like about him being my producer is that he will private message me if I've missed something or if I've interpreted something wrong or differently, let's say. So yeah. I've kind of gone, oh, thanks, Bob, for your question. Uh, blah, 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 answer. And actually, Michael will private message me going, I think he meant X, at which point 
I can choose what to do, but I could say, oh, Bob, maybe you meant such and such, in which case the answer is this, Mm. or let's come on microphone or whatever it might be. And Michael isn't always right. Sometimes, you know, somebody will write, no, 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 you were right the first time, which is like, hey, Michael, (laughs) I was right. Um, (laughs) 10 points to me. Exactly, exactly. That's partly because we're siblings, so we can have a bit of a laugh like that. Um, But also, actually, you can have a real laugh. There's somebody I work with as a producer, and we have such a laugh because we've got that private chat um and it's not a laugh at the expense of people please don't get that wrong but it's a laugh at ourselves yeah when i do something wrong or she does something wrong and i like wake up it's a change of layout time or i'm behind time and her favorite phrase is giddy up and stuff like that so you can still have a real laugh like that but that's all digital communication it's all digital body language Hmm. so did i answer your question about do you always need that person? Yes, yeah, so, so you did, because you said it depends. Um. <laughs> <laughs> depends on the context, Phil. <laughs> well, there's that word now. Um, so, so yes, you did answer the question. Um, uh, but and, and you also got me thinking about some other aspects as well and so, some of the other variables. So one of the other... Um, so this is part of my elicitation strategies thing. Um, so one of the things that, that I'll do in the preamble so so i normally get on i normally go online say 10 15 minutes before uh, the webinar begins and then people you know you'll always have people that are late and you'll have people that come in bang on time and some that they're early mm-hmm. so the ones that are there early um uh, I, I tend to post questions along the lines of where in the world are you um or uh, what has surprised you today or um uh, so the the in the way the class in particular that i do fits just after um, the group have done their first assignment, so they finished their, they made their first submission, um, and I'm like two weeks after I think the submission's gone in, and they haven't had their results yet. So I, you know, I ask questions like, "How are you feeling? You know, how are you feeling about the assignments that you submitted? How long is it till you get your marks back? Stuff like that to try to get the conversation going a little bit early. Um, that then gives, but also gives me some insight into um, into the individuals. And again, one of the early activities that I run is. Um, uh, about how we, how we can categorize and segment organizations because if you do, there's lots of different things that make up the context for a company including the sector they work in the how they're structured um what's happening in the, in the big wide world that sort of thing so i get people to tell me give me a one sentence summary of where they work and then what that what that allows me to do and this is where my scribbles of paper next to my computer get interesting where i'm i'm, I'm starting to link people up so that I, I i know that um you know phil works in a small family orientated organization that provides a serve an it service to customers or i, I know that you know, Joe works in this kind of business. So when I'm then moving through the class and I'm talking through, or moving through the webinar, should I say, when I'm moving through the webinar and um, and I'm talking about the different the different aspects, I can start to link that back to not necessarily, not everybody because there's too many people to do it to everybody. But I, I work really hard to pay attention to the details of information that people give me so that I can try and contextualize what I'm talking about in their world. And then it also builds, hopefully, you know, demonstrates the desire and willingness to to build a connection and a relationship. Absolutely. That sounds great, because what you're not doing is phoning in your lecture. You're not doing the same session every time that you do that particular session. Mm. You've got the bones of topic X 
but your nuance is saying, well, actually, that's small business, that's large business, that's that sector, which is going to be different in the next session. And that's exactly how it should be. Whether it's a webinar with 25 people or 2,500 people, there should be a version of that. And this is what we're talking about here, I think, is again, it's it's context dependent on the format, webinar, virtual classroom, social network, public, whatever is taking what you normally do and adapting it to the technology and the people as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Um, so we talked. So earlier on, I said, um, uh, what uh, what sort of strategies or techniques? And you talked about oh, there's lots of different things you could do in lots of different um, places. So we started on virtual classrooms. Um, and then I, I, I uh, unknowingly or unwittingly took it into webinars. So mm-hmm. um, can I ask a similar question then, but with, with a webinar head on? What are, what are some of the strategies that you use um, to help you understand kind of where people are and to, to try and you know, build a picture of somebody's digital body language? How do you do that on, in a more of a webinar type setting? So when you've got more people, it's different. And you could argue it's more difficult because obviously you don't have the individual time. And the people that are more vocal or verbal, whether that's in the chat window or on a whiteboard, less it's going to be verbal speaking um, in a webinar. Mm. They're the ones that you're naturally going to build a better picture of because if if Bob and Alice are always the first to respond always writing a paragraph always sharing something but actually Eve hardly shares anything naturally you're not going to get to know Eve quite as well Mm. so this is where sometimes the webinar technology can help you you have to be really careful with the technology parts different software does different things they most of them have a version of how engaged are people, which is usually how much have they clicked in the system or are they clicked on the system as opposed to clicked onto another piece of software on their computer. Mm-hmm. That can be useful. So WebEx gives you a red exclamation point next to somebody's name that only the host or the presenter sees yeah. when they've clicked on something else. But again, it's interpretation. Um, and it, this comes to confidence as an example is are they clicking on something because I'm because I'm boring them or are they clicking on something because I'm saying something that's so amazing and so great that they're making notes about it absolutely and I have no idea which one it is mm-hmm. so I choose to interpret it that I'm amazing because that gives me confidence to carry on um so we have to be a bit careful about that, but we do have those those cues in the technology to help us. Mm-hmm. In terms of the webinar, it's still all about the interaction and the turn taking, but that's different. It's yeah. less about, here's a question, use chat, use hand up, let's open up microphone and spend four, five, six, ten minutes discussing this. So it will be much more about using the chat window, but also it's about using whatever technology is there for you. So it could be such on the training journal webinars, I separate out the question panel and the chat panel. Questions still come through the chat panel. That's fine. But it's a point about this is a specific question that you want me to see. Mm. In other technology, it could be using whiteboards, for instance, or polling and getting people to answer the polls. And as long as you've written the question and the options really well, which is difficult, you can get a sense of the group. But it's about then following up and saying, okay, 100 of you selected this, 100 of you selected that, 50 this and 25 that. 
in the chat window explain why. Or let's use the whiteboard and maybe we're just using arrows or pens to scribble on a slide that I've designed to give me an indication of what you think. Or if you've got a webinar with less people, so 20, 25, 50, maybe even 100, let's use the uh, whiteboard in order to answer a question. And what those kind of things can do, as long as the technology isn't a barrier, is actually it can give people a little bit more organic creativity. Mm. Even something like change of colour, change of font, where do I click on the screen? Do I type smileys? Do I scribble a flower next to it? Or, Or whatever it is, that all gives you information about people. It does. And the, the, there's a, there were two things in that that I wanted to um, pick up on. I, I really, um, I'm really not sure about slash hedging my words because I, I think I don't like the WebEx red exclamation mark. Because th- on the version mm-hmm. I used once, I think it even said not paying attention next to the exclamation yeah, mark. possibly. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, how do you know that? Yeah. You know, so the, 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 what, I, I don't know what, you know, I, I now know a little bit more in the, if it is the fact they've clicked on a different application. So they've, they've clicked yeah. off the, that window and they're in a different application. As you said, just because the, what it's telling you is they've clicked on something else. It gives you yeah. no context and no idea as to why they have done that. Or and any meaning you should then interpret because it's often interpreted as oh there this is like you said this is boring and so on so I'm, I'm not I'm not sure how I, I get the intent behind it I think that I get the intent behind it. I'm just not sure of the value of that as a um, I think as a function it, it comes down to again how do you interpret it so it's the cross arms thing yep I could be making a barrier and telling you I don't like you or I could be cold you know, those things. So as an example, I had a guy uh, on my class years and years ago and uh, English was his second or third language. And he, I mean, it was better than my German, don't get me wrong. Mm. But from his point of view, he was struggling with the class because it was in English. So I, you know, after the first session where it was a bit like, well, he's he's not answering very quickly. He's always the last one with a green tick. He's always the last one in the chat window. He's always the last one to put an arrow on the screen. That's all body language. Mm. So, so that's a version of the crossed arms. So at the end of that, I said, oh, can you stay online? Let's have a quick chat. And it was a version of, I've noticed this, what does it mean? Hmm. And he was saying, class is great, really loving it. You're great, learning loads. This is my second language and I have to interpret a lot of the words. Like, hmm. right, okay. At which point, obviously, I, I knew he it was his second language. I was speaking slower. I was using simpler language anyway. Hmm. So like, right, I need to make sure I do that even more. Yeah. And then it was a case of how to use that in the future. So we came up with... Uh, between us, we decided, okay, if I'm saying, hey, you know, blah, 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 topic, green tick, if you agree, or you've had this experience, the understanding between us was he was happy in green tick, unless he said otherwise, because I didn't want to interrupt him interpreting something just to come back and click a green tick. And that the red exclamation point was him translating, no problem. And that if I did want him to do something, because that red exclamation point was there, I knew when he'd click back on the software because it went away. So if there's something I wanted him to do to unmute or to do something on the whiteboard, I'd say, hey, Stephen, or 
whatever his name was, Stefan, something like that. Um, let's bring you back to the software because our activity now is to do blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that just gives him that cue to come back in yeah. and all sorts of other detail and nuance in that. And other things I did, I, I typed words in the chat window as I used them. Um, I did, you know, as things were coming up, I, we translated them. We got comfortable as a group that he could type in, what does this word mean? And two or three people or me would explain it. It, it became really good because we were a group, because it was small, because I could read that digital body language, because I approached him and we discussed it, because I interpreted that hopefully correctly most of the time. And that's how it can be quite powerful. And that's just one example of one person on one course. Mm. No, it's a re- it's a really really good example, um, and and I, because that and it, it got me thinking that you know, what I often will do if I'm facilitating a, a live uh, so live sorry if I'm facilitating a face to face event, um, you, know, you you can see when people are, are off, and I don't mean off like disappearing, but the way they're thinking and they're you know, they're they're either thinking about you know, what does this what does this mean for me or how am I going to use it or how am I going to apply it and as the facilitator you would wait for them to finish or you gently or you gently bring them back or or whatever it is that you would need to do and it's the the same ethos but just applied in a slightly different way in a um in that digital or uh, virtual world yeah. yeah so what you would do um virtually is you would you know you'd present your topic or your your argument and and you would say, I'm going to let you think about that for a moment whilst I do X or whilst I have a sip of my tea. Or once you finish thinking about that, just give a green tick to say, yeah, let's discuss it. And then you just go quiet and wait for everybody's green tick. And, or if you're kind of waiting, you know that there's two or three still to come in. Then you start saying, OK, if you've processed this in the chat window, just write a sentence about what you think. Yeah. And that gives people the time to catch up. And then you start going, okay, Bob, let's unmute and have a chat or on the whiteboard, let's go into X amount of detail. And that's how you start building that up because what you're doing, and I've said this before so many times, is you're deconstructing what you do face to face. Because if you understand your craft really well, you can say, well, what are the component parts that I build up in my face to face session? And therefore, let me un, you know, like a block of Lego, let me undo that and redo it with different Lego or Duplo or whatever you, yeah, analogy yeah. you want to yeah. use to rebuild that in a different way. It looks different. A Duplo house and a Lego house look different, but they're both a house and they have the same function. Oh, look at that. What a way to, what, what, that, I almost want to think, well, there you go. There's our, there's our, there's our, there's our, there's our wrapping up. Is the, that's the, that's the summary done. Um, there you go. Brand new, fresh, free for you, Phil. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is one more thing I want to add, though, and and, and yes, and that is that um, as a facilitator of online uh, things, what the bit you were talking about in there in terms of you know, turning off your mic or just being silent and giving people some time is such a I find in, in both my personal experience and in terms of working with others that can be a real challenge for people to get their head around mm. you know the feeling of discomfort where you put a question out and it can be you know if you, so there's one particular question that I ask and, and often it can be a minute a minute and 15 seconds before I get a reply in the chat window and what it yeah. says in the chat window is multiple attendees are typing so, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I, I know that people are contributing and, and they're, they're giving a response but because I've asked such a big question it takes time to mm-hmm. formulate a 
you know, a, a coherent reply, even with you know, even if it has got typos, etc., in it. Um, and I, I used to f- try and fill the gap, but what I found was actually that was that was becoming an interf- it was becoming an interference yeah. for people because they were trying to listen to me whilst answering my question. Yeah. Um, so now I just go quiet and I just and I don't even tell people I'm going to go quiet. I just ask the question and then just stay silent and just let it you know just let it roll until people are back in because uh, you know they're often. If that was a real-world environment, they are constructing their response or articulating their response out loud, and that's what they're doing here. I just can't hear them because they haven't got a voice in this in that format. And I know we're supposed to be finishing, but I'm going to pick no, you no, up no, on go, a go, tiny go, go. bit of language. Please. Tiny bit of language there, which is you've just said a real-world environment if this was a real-world environment. And the thing is with webinars and virtual classrooms, that's why I, I often dislike the term virtual classroom because it means like pretend, is, is it is a real-world environment. It's just not a face-to-face environment. I, I will I will apologise for my indiscretion. <laughs> How dare you, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you're right, because words matter, you know, because what, what words yeah. do is they create frames. So so by saying it, it, in a real world, that pretends that the other world is, that, that implies yeah. that therefore the other world is pretend. So you are you are absolutely right to um, to correct me on my, uh, on my language use. So I will accept my indiscretion. <laughs> and on on the point of me being right about something for once in my life <laughs> <laughs> just while we're there yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so um is there anything else then joe anything else that you're thinking feeling or want to say before we wrap up um I've got a big smile on my face because I'm so glad we finally got to do this. We talk on and off about this kind of thing and we've done a few things together. We've never quite got here and now we have. And and I've loved it. And I think it's been really interesting to talk about this topic in a slightly different way with you because you bring Mm. your nuance and your angle to things. And I've really enjoyed a deeper dive into this topic and that slightly different angle. So, so thank you. And you've made me think uh, and think about things in a different way. So, so thank you, Phil. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much as well. It's been, it's been wonderful, uh, wonderful to have you on. And like you said, yeah, I'm I'm, really pleased that that we, that we managed to get there and we got the time to do it. So yeah. Thank you very much for coming on, Joe. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure. All right. So before we go then, Joe, is there uh, if people wanted to find out more about you if they wanted to con- continue the conversation uh, where can people get hold of you or where can they find you I would love them to continue the conversation face to face online asynchronous or any which way so on Twitter I am at lightbulbjoe uh, you can find me on my virtual classroom community if you go to lightbulbmoment.community um, and, and I'm on LinkedIn and various other different places I've got all sorts of resources to go and have a look at on this uh, topic. Uh, so yeah, come and find me and have a chat and tell me whether you agree or disagree. Maybe wonderful. Thank you very much, Joe. And I'll what I'll do is I'll put links to your Twitter handle and to the community um, in the show notes as well, so people have uh, so people have got hold of that. You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast, written, edited, and presented by Phil Wilcox. For more information, why not visit our website, emotionatwork.co.uk. If you enjoyed the podcast, why not join the community at community.emotionatwork.co.uk, where you'll find other resources such as videos, blogs, articles, research, plus all the previous podcasts. It'd be great to hear from you. Thanks for listening.